0: Listeners, producer Cam here. It is time to elevate your full-body grooming game with Manscaped. And guess what? They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. And inside the Perfect Package 3.0 kit, there is a Lawn Mower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations around your Manscaping routine. And guess what? You'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver inside the Perfect Package. And it is an anti-chafing, undercarriage, deodorant, and moisturizer. Because guess what? We all know how painful chafing can be. Subscribe to the Perfect Package to get a new blade refill for your lawnmower or trimmer delivered to your door every three months get 20% off plus free shipping with the code theathletic20 at manscaped.com you heard that right get 20% off and free shipping with the code theathletic20 at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscape.com and use the promo code theathletic20 all one word and that's two zero for the 20 and for limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag at $39 value and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Brief. So once again, go to manscaped.com today and use the code Athletic 20 Perform on the field. People will come. It doesn't
1: happen.
2: You have to look at how you're doing business.
1: Welcome to White Sox Business, the only podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team that's hosted by me, John Greenberg, and more importantly, James Fegan. You can subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out James and my work on The Athletic as well. James, Dallas Keuchel laid down the law, and the White Sox cowered in fear, and have now they're now fighting they're fighting for their very baseball lives, so Dallas Keuchel doesn't shame them again. Is that what you see?
2: Uh, sure. Why not? I don't know. I, like, uh, like we heard from Tim. Like, I guess Tim would probably be the person that, out of the people we spoke to, that might be the most. Maybe I would expect like taken aback by it, given the fact that he's been here for the entire rebuild and. Like we talked, I asked him about something about like, is this, is this new for you to go to like this um this stretch where there are playoff expectations that you're kind of being called to task? And he was like, you know, we've been getting our heads kicked in for three years, you know that we've had you know so many team meetings, we've had so many like moments where we got called out for poor play like this. This wasn't anything new. So he he said it was um, welcome. Uh, Rick Reneria said it was welcome. James McCann, you know, made the stipulation that he talked to the team first before he just, you know, laid the laid the team out in the media. But James McCann has been uh, Keichel's teammate in Arkansas, so I didn't really expect him to be like that guy's a jerk or anything like that. Um, I think Eloy was probably the person who gave the most like seemingly ambivalent answer, and he just kind of said like, "Well, we hit today, so I guess that's that." And but uh, I, I, yeah, I was not totally – like. For me, and I, to avoid coming off as just someone who's just approving of like Renneria at all times, but the fact that like Keuchel spoke up and a lot of people reacted to it in a way of like, yeah, finally some leadership, uh, finally the White Sox actually holding people accountable is, like, it, he's just talking to the media for the first time. Like that doesn't mean they've never had a team meeting or that no one's ever been yelled at, or like the fact that he just like kind of put it out there for everyone to consume doesn't mean this is like a level of accountability that's like literally never occurred right it's just probably someone using the media to kind of like you know lay the gauntlet down a little bit
1: well and i think you know it it was i don't want to say exact it was heightened by the fact that we're living and fans are you know they're getting this from us like one thing everyone's obviously more worried about the situation, the coronavirus, right? And like and and its effect on baseball and its effect on our lives. That's like this isn't like a casual time where White Sox baseball is the most important thing in people's in people's lives. And the second is that we don't have a lot of access. So everything we're doing is off these Zooms, which, you know, I'm gonna say it is generally just people ass kissing. (laughs) Like, you know, because it's awkward to do these Zoom calls. So it's just kind of like these weird like everyone's very polite and that kind of stuff. There's very polite questioning. So you're like, you're not on one hand, like one hand, we're all worried about something more important than than baseball. The other hand, you know, we're just getting these zoom stuff where it's not like you have anything fiery and it's still early in this, you know, shortened season. So like Dallas Keiko actually saying something meaningful, like is going to stand out.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Jim Margos, who used to write for us. um, You know, he, he talked a little bit about how it would probably be, how this would be differently covered if we were in the clubhouse, and um, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while because you, Keuchel being the starting pitcher, typically you talk to the manager and then you talk to the starting pitcher. He's like the next guy right. to to you talk to, and if Keuchel went off the way he did, you know, you scurried you'd around, be, you'd be scurrying around to three or four more guys, being like, <laughs> do "You guys think you played like garbage tonight?" Because uh, you know, yeah, Dallas is right. sure over he here
1: saying you guys are trash.
2: Whereas, like, that was, like, that was the last interview we got that night. And, like, I think we talked to Danny Mendick first, because he went three for four. And, you know, Danny Mendick has got, like, I don't know, ten hours of service time so far. So he's just like, oh, you know, we'll be right back at it, and something like that. And we talked to Renneria and then Keiko, like, lays, lays the wood to everybody, and that's, like, the last interview anybody has of a Sox person for a 16-hour period. Whereas that's not really how that would play out. And, like, even when when Eloy like tumbled into the stands the other day, um, we requested Eloy, but we didn't get him. It was kind of something that was already, everyone was kind of already over and done with as far as the news cycle by the time, um, he actually spoke. And, um, you know, Rio went to bat for him. Gio Gonzalez very testily decided to sidestep addressing it, really. And then that was it. And we can't really get the vibe of how, how teams really feel about anything. Um, based on on, 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 the, on the access that we have, and uh, it's it, it wouldn't it it's a stupid thing to complain about because like it would be you know an enormous it's it's not important in the scheme of things for us to be able to grill guys in the way that we used to, and it is really awkward and weird to ask follow up questions, but it's the nature of things that I don't know. There's really not much out that someone doesn't want to be out uh, as far as a public statement. Right. Like Dallas Keuchel, this is out because. Dallas thought there was use to putting it out there. And to his credit, it, I guess it seems like there was use to putting it out here in, the, in this fashion um, because, I don't know, scoreboard, like L.A. Meta said.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it was it, – we actually should thank Dallas Keuchel because he gave us something to talk about. You know? 10 p.m. I did not like,
2: know what I was writing that night. <laughs> I can tell you that. Exactly.
1: <laughs> he like You know, that's the greatest gift to us is someone – Doing something we can we can react to because you're not we don't get the access you don't have the time you would spend before a game in a clubhouse you know talking to different guys about mechanical tweaks or you know the stuff you like to talk about but we we need this and, and in some ways it made you feel like a normal season again for a second right like yeah it's not just like oh these guys you know they're dealing with so much because I, I wrote about that before the year it's going to be weird. Like how do you get on guys during the – you know, get on players during the season? How will – you know, how how will like Theo Epstein or Rick Hahn get mad at stuff when they know how much people are dealing with? So
2: it felt normal. Yeah, I think one of the last conversations I had with Rick because so much of what I've (laughs) talked about with Rick has been like um, (laughs) kind of reaching out about uh, all the the protocols or or players' readiness – uh, he was like, I, I hope the next time we talk is about like you giving me grief over like <laughs> we need to call up Dane Dunning or something like that. Like everyone be happy to deal with like um you know basically baseball stuff. And I would give the White Sox fans credit; they have uh you know in spite of all the misgivings you might have about the season, they are are incredibly um, freaking out about the results of every game. It, it's 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 a brave show of uh, of a uh, commitment uh, in, in these trying times.
1: Right, they're still uh, they're still they're still themselves.
2: Maybe uh, more themselves than ever because this you know they probably are going to the playoffs this year.
1: Tim Anderson we talked about him. Uh, he had a he had a, speaking of being normal again. He had a Tim Anderson game. And he had a Tim Anderson press conference. He's had a few Tim Anderson press conferences via Zoom, right? I mean, he's it's, flexing. Yeah, he's flexing with no sleeves. He's you know he's talking about how he talked trash to uh, was that Matthew Boyd today. Yeah. After hitting a lead off Homer. I mean, what's, what's the Tim Anderson experience like on zoom right now?
2: Um, someone who's like been working as a comic for <laughs> three, four years. And now they got like just a very tight 10 minutes that they can like drop at any time. And like, I don't know if like what the hour special looks like, but if he's like, if Tim Anderson was just had like a bit after like, um, Conan or Leno was done and he was just doing, a tight ten, he he would knock it out the park. Um, he he, uh, he he dropped his line about starting the party and leadoff. He called himself the Energizer Bunny. Uh, he talked about watching his home run and how he let Boyd know. Um, he basically said that he's better than Luis Robert in <laughs> not so uh, sly way, just saying that, like anybody who thought that Luis Robert would take the leadoff spot from him. You know, granted, at least Robert was hitting like 350 with power earlier this season. It didn't seem like the most absurd thing. He, he basically let it know that he thought that was ridiculous. And, you know, it, it's all gravy now because he's, he, I guess he's been on base six times in the last two games and it hit a huge home run. But um, <laughs> it might make it awkward down the road when maybe Tim Anderson is not the obvious leadoff man of this team two years from now. But, you know, it, it's it's all fun and games right now. And uh, I, I think it's. At one point, he uh, he thanked Daryl Van Scowen for motivating him, saying some idle comment Daryl might have made about getting the team started early. He's like, "Yeah, that uh, shout out to Daryl for that's why I had to like uh, do something <laughs> in the first inning." It, he, he was hitting all, he was firing all cylinders.
1: They were uh, on the broadcast. Steve Stone, you know, as, as he tends to do, talks about Tim Anderson's maturation as a hitter and how he's trying to finally figure things out and he's got more he's you know maybe watching film a little smarter you know and he, he's doing the things to kind of supplement his natural athleticism. Have you if you heard anything about you know in the past years about him growing
2: in that kind of regard. Yeah, that was probably the big thing off season before last year was that he was um, <laughs> as he would put it doing the type of teamwork work that Ed Howard was doing at 16. Of just being able to cover all quadrants of the zone and, you know, being able to stay with breaking pitches in the other half and and thinking in terms of uh, pitchers working, um, you know, uh, left to right across the zone. I mean, the thing that Steve Stone was pointing out was that Matthew Boyd, this left hander who, like, tries to get right handers chasing at the slider down and away all the time that Tim Anderson kind of crowded the plate to kind of take that away. And by that, he encouraged Boyd to come inside, which Tim Anderson uh, rewarded him by flipping into the left field seats. And then when there was this, like, kind of goofy righty they brought into the bullpen, all of a sudden he backed up in the batter's box. He's just doing, like, these kind of a bat-to-bat tweaks, which aren't, like, I don't know, rocket science. But yeah, I remember watching Tim Anderson in 2017 where there was a right-hander who threw a first-pitch fastball for a strike. Um, Tim Anderson was going to be out because he was going to see nothing but sliders for the rest of the count. He was going to swing and miss at all of them. And, and then he was going to, you know, attack the batter's rack in the dugout and you were going to hear it because the park was empty and tim anderson was as frustrated as he'd ever been at any point in his life and to sort of kind of see him where he's now seemingly a step ahead of the pitchers or you know we talk about him being just this crazy free swinging guy but he's taken like 18 pitches over the course of like the first at bats the last two games and seemingly embracing the actual like prototypical leadoff role of of someone who's making the pitcher throw all of his things and setting up the rest of the lineup like that was something, even a year ago, if you asked him about doing he'd be like, you know, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. That I'm not going to, like, you know, change my game for this role. But now that's something that his approach is just uh, – he, he he can respond to what is being done to him so well that that just kind of comes out naturally, not, right. without, I wonder, not with forcing patience.
1: I wonder if that's part of his com- – I mean, he's obviously always been confident, right? But there, is, there had to have been a part of him that, that knew – you know, as he's young coming up, like he's a little nervous and that's maybe the nerves are, you know, inspiring him to do well, whatever. But now I think he's a little more, he just has the at-bats. He has the plate appearances that he can go up there and know that he can probably hit a pitch at any time. Whereas before he's like, all right, first pitch, I think I can hit, you know, I'm swinging. I want, I want to, I don't want them to beat me. And now he's confident up there. And like you said, and he's taking more pitches. That's pretty good sign.
2: Yeah, I think he's much more confident in his ability to to read pitchers whereas 2017-2018 he was just like he knew he could catch up to any fastball and it was just about getting himself in a situation where a pitcher would ever have a reason to throw one, but that was kind of more of a mystery and he was, you know, hoping for a mistake rather than now he can actually bring it about.
1: James, before we move on, let's hear from our friends at Indochino. Uh what's going on with the bullpen, James? A few injuries here and there. Guys are dropping. We were talking about yeah. the, the great White Sox bullpen. That
2: was gonna be the best of all time. Did did we talk about that? I mean, Alex Salome looks Maybe. good. Uh you know, for <laughs> someone that they traded away a plus hitting catcher for so they could pay him ten million dollars a year, it didn't seem like the most value. It was it was always based on the idea that he was like an elite closer that, you know, I don't think many people saw, but he, he's he's been fine, but I think losing Aaron Bummer, this guy who can constantly just go after every tough part of the lineup, who's uh, you can neutralize the opposing team's left-handed hitter, who can um, pitch multiple innings, it's really revealed how a lot of the guys who have been good around him, like Evan Marshall and Jimmy Cordero, at least the last couple of days, are more like, you know, put them in the right spots, they can do it. But I don't know if you necessarily want them as your everyday eighth inning guy. Both both You've kind of seen the cracks in, in both Marshall and Cordero as, you know, they're guys you that you got off waivers who, who were NRIs. I, I think they're good setup men in a bullpen, but I think they're missing that one big tool. And as a result, you're kind of really looking for, and Renneria said that they're going to, you know, give guys like Cody Hoyer and Zach Birdie now that he, you know, watched the video on Twitter and throws two miles an hour harder. now, um, opportunities to be that, you know, kind of high leverage dude, or, or even, uh, Matt Foster, who, you know, frankly snuck up on me uh, as much as everyone else. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be pitching the 8th anytime soon, but I think they kind of have to be open to it. Um, at the same time, given that Aaron Bummer uh, kind of threw a pitch and shook his head and walked off the mound, and usually that's like the death of guys' careers, um, it, it sounds like they're they're not ruling him out for the season or not. he's not on this track where surgery is imminent. So that's at least positive, but they do have to make do without him, and I think that's going to be uh, dicey. Um, Going forward, at least for a little bit, and uh, with with Zach Birdie's um, older brother going down for the season again, and um, I guess Jimmy Lambert's like on the forty five day IL with a forearm strain, and his brother is like has TJ. I wonder. I'm starting to legit wonder if like the next pitcher whose brother gets hurt, I'm now looking at them of like, are they going to get the exact same injury? Because this this is kind of insane.
1: What can they do? I mean, who do they who are the replacements in Schomburg and you know, I mean, are we is this are we going to see Garrett Crochet be forced into duty?
2: I really think they would avoid that at all costs. I think they would much sooner let's actually throw birdie back-to-back days. Let's actually throw birdie in the seventh or eighth inning and see what he's got, or do the same to Hoyer before they, you know, take that tool off. I mean. Zach butty threw like as hard as possible with great stuff when he was a rookie when he was first out of the draft too and he really his command was nowhere near the the point where he'd be much more than like a guy to throw up and mo- throw and mop up um uh you know in, in like a fifth or sixth inning or an inning that didn't matter I I really I'd be hard pressed to see the idea that Garrett Crochet as good of this as his stuff is supposed to be is going to be someone who would meaningfully make a difference in a seventh or eighth inning for a team that's in the playoff race this season. Um, I, I I think the last few years, or even just seeing the fact that, you know, 2015 eighth overall pick Carson Fulmer is getting knocked around into the Tigers bullpen right now would dissuade them out of the idea that just because a guy looked like electric in college means that you can drop him into a, a meaningful situation in major league game and get good results. Like um, I, I, I would imagine the message of the last decade would be that Chris sale was the exception to the rule.
1: Uh I wonder what kind of the trade market's going to be. I, I feel like the only trade market there really is, is going to be relievers. You know, people just, people who need someone, a certain kind of reliever. It might even be a prospect to be named later, but I, 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 I think there will be a trade market for that. And I think pretty much only that.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the rule that you can only trade guys within the 60 man pool and, I mean, You can do player to be named later to get around that, but just I feel like assembling those huge prospect packages that you need to, to move guys like, um, you know, to move a Jose Quintana type of guy that they did to make the kind of major trades that they made three years ago. Um, yeah, I, I just think it'd be so much easier, and especially like just making such a large decision for your multi-year competitive window based on like needing a rental for this weird bastardized season that could end at any moment. I just don't see that happening. I see just a lot of, like, mid-level... The Steve Cisheks of the world, like, moving around uh, more than I see, um, you know, them getting... Them acquiring some, like, huge, you know, multi-year piece or making their Christian Yelich trade uh, in the middle of the season.
1: Right, no one's trading their Fernando Tatis Jr. for starting pitching.
2: Right, because Fernando Tatis Jr. is not a... is not on anyone's uh, if he wasn't on the White Sox roster window or their radar back when right. they traded them, he's not going to be in any team's 60 man. If pool only,
1: right if, if, if only they had that rule back then, <laughs> right?
2: It <laughs> <Could've laughs> saved, the fr- saved a lot of grief, could
1: have saved a lot of grief. I don't think too many White Sox fans were uh, clicking on the Jeff Passan uh, video or story about Fernando Tatis,
2: Pro- probably not, unless they're really um. They uh, are gluts for punishment and they are White Sox fans so but. Right so they might have but I uh
1: did you watch that by the way one of my I, friends. I,
2: one, I I watched like the first 30 seconds because
1: uh angry uh joked about how <laughs> <laughs> the
2: first the first image really is Passin just typing typing it's one of the <laughs> I funniest I could not believe that was true I
1: couldn't either I wanted to know I, I need to I know he did the I think Passin did the daily uh podcast with with Pablo Torre you know, which I don't think has as many listeners as we do here at White Sox Business. But um I hope they talked about that and why on earth that's in there at all, let alone the first thing. It's the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen of a like guy the, typing. Right? The <laughs> stage
2: setting that they have is that like Fernando Tatis is like running on the beach, like right. shirtless skin glistening and Jeff Passant just typing on a table, watching it. Like, it's just very bizarre
1: with like a spark with like a, a Topo Chico and a lime. Uh, it, it's one of the most bizarre choices I've ever seen. I just, I really would love to know uh, what the thought process was. Maybe uh, maybe we'll, maybe, we'll, I'll, maybe uh, beyond the scrum, we'll get into that, uh, get into that choice. Cause they do the media. Um, all right. So the white socks are back in chicago uh they still Theoretical. don't play theoretically they don't play thursday but they open theoretically friday i mean has that been canceled yet
2: it's not they're playing
1: the cardinals this weekend to, to specify
2: right but um they they moved back the rotation for saturday and just said friday is tba which um Rick Rennery didn't come out and say it, but the closest you can get to him confirming uh, something that's not already confirmed was him saying like, <laughs> yeah, we basically don't know what is going to happen Friday. So we're not going to set a plan for it, which means like, yeah, they're, they're waiting to see if this game gets banged. So this so, is why well, they not giving Lucas Giolito to it.
1: This is where we miss Ozzy because they had to stop telling Ozzy um, injury. They had to stop telling him DL moves before they happen because he would tell us at the press conference before they announced it. So they, they finally just stopped telling him just the more minor ones at least, uh, because he would tell us, so we could use Ozzy. Ozzy's been on fire lately, by the way, we should get him on the podcast.
2: That would probably, uh, give me something to write on its own after just the aftermath of whatever he said.
1: I, I like how they're leaning in though. Cause I think everyone was, there was like, because he was off right after he made that Nick Swisher comment. And then, you know, people were, I think people were probably wondering if they were mad at him or something for like going, being that, you know, saying he hates a player with his heart. Uh, but they're leaning into it and they just did like a best of clips of him just saying crazy stuff.
2: So now well, what the White Sox doing. need to do is hold a 2008 reunion for the their last division champion and see how, invite Swisher.
1: That would be good. I wonder if Swisher. I mean, so many people hate Swisher in baseball. I wonder if that even affects him.
2: Uh, yeah. I wonder if he knows about it.
1: He probably, uh, you know what? He didn't like them either. So like I, it was like the only bad year really of his career, you know, before the last couple of years. I, yeah. You know, until he's he just he like, like time, like Right. When he's just like a part-time player. But like that was like the only bad year. And I know there's people, he definitely talk about a guy who didn't fit in. Man, we should do, we really have to do like a rundown of all the misfits they've had on this team in just like the last like 15 years um just some weird scouting i would love to know their thought processes sometimes on like do they actually like do any kind of investigation on guys to see if they'll be a fit like
2: well i, I think know they, they have like Pruszynski, these bizarre right? successes and they then they think they're bulletproof and they think like well we accom- right. we fit aj Prezinsky into our clubhouse and it was seamless right. and he becomes like a you know a central figure of it why would why would swisher right. be difficult
1: Right, we we got a and AJ was the one they did do investigation on, and Hawk like takes credit for it, you right? Know, whatever, but yeah, right, and that worked, and he became almost the face of that. In a lot of ways, he was you know it was him and Canerico were kind of the face of that that era, and Aussie obviously, but the player wise, because you had Przinsky who was just like this jerk, and then Canerico who was you know the mainstay, the professional,
2: or, or Jenks who had personal issues when they brought him over from from the Angels, and uh, they get I was you know, all star seasons out of him. I, I
1: was there the day he he came up um i probably for the ap or something i didn't even i don't even think i put it in like the little notes thing you put at the end maybe i did the little notes thing at the end but because it wasn't really our story yet but it was like a big deal because right he was he had a lot of stuff he was like he was one of these like minor league guys that you never know like you've heard so much about you don't know what's myth and what's reality
2: right and to, to harken back to Sale, and you bring him up and you basically develop him into an ace on the fly. And, you know, brought up Carlos Rodon in like no time and he, he didn't turn into the same thing, but he didn't get shelled like out of the bat. He's he, he stuck in the majors. You kind of think like, well, we can we can just take these college starters and, and uh, right. bring and, and make them into big leaguers while they're in the majors and there'll be no sweat. And you do it two or three or four more times and it's flops. And you're like, oh, maybe this isn't actually that easy to do.
1: Right. Uh, well, we'll see if they've learned their lesson. Maybe I, I could see that. Watch them bring in another like weirdo for the stretch run. Uh, but we won't know. We won't be able to say if he's a good or a bad clubhouse guy. Cause we're not in the clubhouse. We, we won't know you until
2: know. Dallas Keichel calls him out. Uh, during the right. Exactly. Like,
1: right. Like, like Brett Myers, Brett Myers is one of the only guys I was like really creeped out by. I was just like, all right, I, this guy's this guy's kind of freaking me out a little bit. Um, so the White Sox are back in Chicago until August 31st is what we were talking about before. We don't know about the Cardinals. Not, no one's counting on that. I'm sure they're thinking up fun games they can do for the weekend. Tigers come back, crosstown cup with the Cubs. James, what do you think about this this stretch coming forward?
2: This is where they got to make their hay, right? I mean, they're five and one against Kansas City and Detroit, and they get to play them seven times, and they are mostly getting uh, beaten soundly by the other contenders in the division. This is where they would pump up their record against a uh, uh, the Walking Dead of the Cardinals and you know the Pirates, <laughs> Tigers, and, and Royals, like basically by the time we're deciding whether or not it's worth it to drive to Minnesota we should know like if this team is in a position to, <laughs> to make the playoffs or not so this is the this is the um, this is who you run over if uh, you know, this is really a real season so yeah. it,
1: this cardinals thing is going to be so weird I and mean, we had already talked about it a little bit but you know i mean there no one's counting on this series so it's just such a straight you know But I don't think it really affected the Cubs recently in any, you know, I don't think any of the stuff's, I think we worry about, oh, you know, a team can get hot and then this this pause hurts it. Like there's so much with the season. I think you almost have to throw that stuff out because look at the Marlins. They came out firing after being off for like two weeks.
2: I think you throw it off, but at the same time, I think with the ambitions that the Cardinals have or the White Sox have, if the Cardinals come out of like two weeks of not playing and just, smoke them or even just take two out of three I think uh, there'd be a fair amount of I don't know I think my mentions would probably look uh, pretty sewerish uh, by the end of that
1: <laughs> <laughs> right
2: is it better is it better to not
1: play the Cardinals and miss those games or to lose two out of three to the Cardinals and, and keep playing
2: I, I would probably pro- probably miss the games I would say <laughs> uh, especially <laughs> as a rotation that basically has um Uh, you know four guys and it's really still not letting Gio Gonzalez uh, pitch to starter length at this point much to uh, Gio's chagrin the other day given that he was pulled an out short of a win which you know the guys who have been around uh, long enough still kind of care about a bit Um, yeah I I think probably any time they can get to to further rest themselves and maybe recover to a point where you know I, I don't know when the last time the fan base has been happy to see Ronaldo Lopez but they probably would be at this point
1: what do you think's upsetting the fan base? What what is the fan base most upset about right now? What are your mentions mention the most?
2: Uh, um, I would say. I mean, it, it's offense related. It, it might be like uh, the the organization needs to realize more that Abreu is um, not the hitter they treat him as, or that you know they want Grandal and Encarnacion to kind of come to life a bit more. Or, um, you know, they get angry at Eloy's defense when it pops up a bit. It, it's not yeah, one unified one creep, gripe at any point. Uh, Is it, creep? But it, it gripe? Gripe. Gripe. Uh, sickness in Spanish. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it's it's basically anything that pops up they kind of uh, latch on to. But I, I wouldn't say there's one GOAT on the team. Uh, uh, you know, if Ryan Goins plays more, they'll probably uh, latch on to him more. But it. it that seems temporary.
1: I, I feel has Ricky, been, Ricky hasn't been getting hit on hit too much by people. Has he,
2: um, when Dallas Keichel spoke out, everyone thought this was like a massive indictment of, of Renneria. Um, oh, okay. And then Renneria the next day was like, yeah, I want the players to call each other out. Like, I don't want to do it every single time. I don't think it, I think it rings hollow if I'm the one doing it all the time, which I don't know if you buy or not. Um, but he he's he's spoke he's at least on the record saying that he wanted self policing, you know, for years now.
1: Yeah, I don't. Every manager does. No manager wants to sit and call people out. You won't have relationships with guys. Like every yeah. manager wants self policing.
2: everyone thought this was basically like you know one of the lieutenants speaking up because the captain is you know drunk and asleep in his room. But it it seems like Renneria really wanted it.
1: Right. It's kind of it is kind of funny, like how stuff like that tends to to mushroom, you know, and that's all, that's like the unavoidable part of social media, because people see something and believe it and then repeat it and it becomes that kind of echo chamber. So
2: I, I, I don't know, I would, but I, though, wonder, I mean, because they did. Everyone went through great efforts the next day to stipulate that it wasn't the case. But how would it have gone over if it was just Dallas laying out the team to media and he had not addressed them directly? Uh, before he did
1: um i guess we would only know that if people were like screw this guy
2: <laughs> yeah you know, right. someone
1: would have to someone would have to say that too right pretty much i mean unless someone talked to someone that you know complained off the record
2: i mean you and know? who would have the status to be like screw this guy from a team that has not won in a long time from their new pitcher who has won and that was his whole selling point and has been great since he came over like like if It'd be one thing if, like, I don't know, Yasmani Grandal, like, said everybody's been stinking and everyone's like, you you have a 650 OPS since coming over. Like, why are you talking? (laughs) Like, you know, Dallas both has the resume and has like been nothing but a big plus since coming over uh, in in terms of his performance. uh, McCann called him the perfect guy to do it, and it's hard to argue with him. I guess if Lucas Giolito ran everyone out, that'd be interesting, but that'd just be interesting because it's, it's the nicest guy on the team. Do you, do you
1: think like Rick Hahn heard himself patting himself on the back for, for Dallas Keiko acquisition after that?
2: Uh, I'm sure he'll, uh, <laughs> I'm sure some mild version of that will occur the next time he addresses media. <laughs> With
1: his smile, his little smirk, his little I told you so smirk that he likes to give you. Uh, I'm sure he's not listening, so I'm not worried about that. But if you <laughs> want to listen, you can subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, wherever get, you get your podcast, And you can also check out James and my work on The Athletic as well. It's been another great episode of White Sox Business, James. See you later.
2: Like all the others.